Hello and welcome to episode 232 of the Crate and Crowbar. It is the 15th of February 2024 at the time of recording. My name is Chris Thurston and joining me this evening is Jamie Britton. Hello. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm not bad. I said hello louder than I did the sound check just then, just to kind yeah. of screw with you apparently. I didn't have this much anxiety about waveforms when we used to record the podcast in person and I knew what the fuck was going on. But as you were noting before we started recording, Jamie, uh, the software we use for this changes its entire UI, its entire web interface every hour. It's impossible to, to keep track. But I've noticed that my own waveform as it unfolds before me has a kind of motion blur effect on it. And that is not necessary <laughs> at all. <laughs> and it's freaking me out. It's like I'm talking real fast, which I am, but not in that sense. Yeah, I was just momentarily hypnotized by my own waveform and how much bigger it is than yours. Well, it's not a competition, all right? <laughs> Mine is small but fast, like a rogue might be. Here's the thing. We've had a bit of a weird couple of weeks we're recording these podcasts, and so this is going to be a weird kind of an episode. If it wasn't already clear from the first 90 seconds of this recording, uh, we're going to do something a little bit different this week, aren't we? Yeah, yes. So... I took it upon myself, because I'm a, a diligent little boy, to record a little mini-sode podcast um, where I talked through some games that I'd played uh, recently, namely two train games um, and then a bunch of the Steam Next Fest games, um, most of which were sort of horror-y, walking simulator type things. Um, and then we wondered whether or not we might actually just roll those into this episode and play them play them on a little tape, and then we could maybe chat about them after after past Jamie has finished rambling on about them. Yeah, so what we're going to do is reach some sort of inflection point that makes sense for us today, right now, in, in, in the 15th of February, and then flash back to Jamie talking to himself for 25 minutes. Uh, <laughs> but wonderfully, I listened to it yesterday and enjoyed myself very much, and hopefully you will as well. And then we'll jump back. For us here, right now, on... Uh, the Thursday that this is, no time at all will pass. But for you, the listener, 25 minutes. Have I explained this enough? I think you've explained it, yeah. Okay, good. All right. Um, I don't know if we uh, need to signal this. I tell you what, I leave it to you, Marsh Davies, to determine the dignity with which this transition needs to occur. Now, join Jamie in the past as he discusses the following... So, uh, to start us off, I just want to talk about quickly about a couple of train games. So, over Christmas, I bought my daughter some Brio train sets, which are the kind of standard wooden train sets that you, you buy little kids, right? And there's been some, like, creepy, uh, like, industry fixing between all the different manufacturers of train sets because they all fit with each other, which is glorious in this era of needing one widget to put another widget on a widget. Um, I really appreciate that. So I was able to buy like some colossal sacks of Brio bricks and Thomas the Tank Engine bricks um, from eBay and present them to my daughter, my two-year-old daughter, who of course um, immediately was instantly bored with them and wanted to play with something else. But the part of my brain that was neurotypical on Christmas Day, <laughs> that isn't neurotypical, sorry, the part of my brain which is neurodiverse, immediately went into overdrive and I had an amazing time on Christmas Day when I probably should have been looking after my children or cooking dinner or uh, plotting future outrage with my parents 
uh, I spent quite a lot of time on the floor with the Brio train set, trying to optimise um, as much as possible and use every bit of track, right? That is what we do with a Brio train set. That is what we're put here on Earth to do. Um, we'd also purchased a couple of bespoke bits. So there was a bell that goes ding when the train goes over it, which is pretty goddamn good. Uh, some uh, some like furnishings. It's that, that's what they're called in the train biz, right? Furnishings, some trees and people, and also a train that goes round on its own and has a little controller lever. I know, it's pretty good. So I just had an amazing time with that. I was occupied for like two hours. My partner was like, I've never seen you concentrate so much at anything, which hurt. Um, And I wondered if there was a game that possibly could provide the same thrills without the need to take up huge amount of floor real estate, which would be better served by dolls and shit. So I did a cursory Google and added the word Reddit at the end of it and I said what is the best model train game? And the first answer that came up, which I immediately purchased off Steam, is a game called Rolling Line, which I had never heard of before and is one of those things which is just amazing. It's one guy making it and what it is, is you are put into a virtual room, I guess a garage, and you are given a huge amount of tools to build a model train set. Um, It's one of those games that's completely unlike anything else I've ever played, in that you are in a pretend garage, I guess, although everything in this you can customise. You can put a table down. You can change the colour on the cloth of that table. You can then set about in a kind of virtual environment, which has a sort of physical space, and this game has recently been updated to have VR VR, um, capabilities, so you're basically able to build the model train track um, and scene of your dreams, possibly nightmares, um, with no limits or or physical laws (laughs) on how you go about doing it. Um, Some people have made some absolutely incredible... um, constructions on there and the examples that they give you uh, as you start the game are amazing and one of the things you can do is at any moment you can press a button and zoom into the world yourself like a tiny Beetlejuice and go around on the trains and toot the horns and pull the levers and it's pretty good. Um, I found it more or less unplayable because the physical space setting of the whole thing is just kind of insane like it's just entirely bespoke it doesn't really correspond to any other games I've played before. The tools that you have, it has this kind of very complicated system involving kind of selecting an area of the space that you want to edit and then editing it with your various tools and then kind of locking that into position. And it just gave me an immediate headache um, and I couldn't play it at all. Um, I enjoyed having a tootle round on the tracks that had been provided for the player but ultimately, it was making my brain really feel like it was being cooked. Um, that said, I just it's one of those games that almost makes me want to weep with how much effort that has gone into something as gloriously nerdy and bespoken as individual as that. And I was happy to spend money on it. I haven't refunded it. <laughs> um, because I just, you know, I want that game to go on forever and become ever more complex. Um, and turn into the next Roblox, possibly. So I then googled slightly more intently. I googled with a bit more focus. Is there a game that simulates the experience of laying down Brio train tracks? Ah, now, 
There absolutely is. It's called Tracks, the train set game. Um, almost as if their SEO was perfectly employed for my needs there in terms of how they named that game. Anyway, I got this game, Tracks, the train set game, and my God, is it great. So what you do is you're basically given a kind of void, but a friendly void, a nice void. You can change the colour of the void and you can make it um, rain and you can make it shine and all that sort of stuff. And then you are just given uh, a bit, some relaxing music to listen to and an endless, infinite amount of Brio-style train tracks to lay down as you please. And it has just been such a pleasure to fire up on the Steam Deck, it's also on Switch I think, and just build the Brio train set, yes, of my dreams. Uh, put houses around it, build mountains, build roads... Um, uh, you can have it so that passengers can get on and off the trains and go to their corresponding businesses. You can automate the track in all sorts of unusual ways. You can have animals. You can ignore the train track building entirely and just focus on making a ridiculously uh, uh, complicated system of farms and houses and stadiums and all manner of things. They just give you a lot of pieces and a lot of bricks and just tell you to have fun. There is a game mode of it which gives you some sort of simulated environments like a kind of bedroom set or a, uh, I didn't even look further than the first one to be honest, and says like build a trap between these two points and and uh, drop off this many passengers or that many passengers. But to be honest, I have just been so happy clicking and clacking my Brio bits together. You can also, this seems to be a key component of the Troy Toy Train Fantasy, you can go into the train, you can toot the horn. Um, and you can put bits down that go bing when your train goes over them, which was what I wanted. Um, so I actually really recommend both of those games, uh, especially Tracks, the train game. I just think it's glorious. There's been a couple of DLCs, which are only a couple of quid, which have expanded it quite a bit. And I think the, the new DLC adds like sci-fi stuff, aliens, things like that. It's ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I just think there's something really lovely about Brio. There's something about the limitation uh, it applies to the to the world of trains, and it feels kind of freeing. I don't have the mind that's ever going to be able to really make something complicated, or the artistic ability to make something beautiful in that world. But being able to make something a bit functional and a bit silly looking with a nice kind of barriers behind, you know, of how far you can go with that, yeah, just lovely. Trains the track set, uh, the trains the train set game. So yeah, I just wanted to mention those games as not normally games I would normally play. There are loads and loads of train games out there, obviously of varying complexity. Um, but it was nice to find a game that absolutely served the, the specific fantasy <laughs> that that I had. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about the Steam Next Fest, which is currently ongoing, and will probably still be going by the time you hear that hear this. Um, I've played a few games in there, and really enjoyed what I've played. So I'll start off with Mouthwashing. So Mouthwashing is a first-person indie horror game uh, set on a spaceship that's flying somewhere with a large cargo. It's a very short demo, which I really recommend people play, because actually I don't want to spoil what happens in it. But the horror that it conjures is incredibly specific and really, really horrible. 
um, at which point the kind of demo is mostly finished. Um, so I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with the main game. It has that kind of graphical quality of a PlayStation 1 game, possibly, um, uh, but it's just one of those things that's so unusual and so sort of bespoke and so clearly the product of a completely insane mind um, that I'm just really interested in in playing that game when it eventually drops. I looked into that developer's back catalogue and I'm sort of slightly wish I hadn't because the game that they made previously, which you can play for free on Steam right now, is called How Fish Is Made which is uh, a <laughs> a game where you play as a fish flopping through the bowels of a factory. Um, it's almost like what happened next after that sequence in uh, What Remains of Edith Finch. So you play a horrible fish um, flopping its way along various conveyor belts, occasionally greeting other fish. There is a, there is a sequence where one of those fish parasite disgusting things that exist in the tongue of other fishes sing a song to you, which made me almost fall over laughing. It was just hilarious. Um, and then a philosophical question at the end, which is posed... I mean, I don't even know what to say about the ending of that game. It is nice to see something that is genuinely crazy. Um, and then I noticed this, this game had a DLC. Um, this free game had a DLC, which is actually longer than the base game. And more gamey than the base game, and that one's called The Last One and Then Another. Uh, which, again, I don't want to talk too much about, because I actually think there's a lot of joy in discovering what's going on in that game, or what you're doing in that game. All I'll say is it riffs on a very specific, beloved game from a couple of decades back in genuinely horrible ways. Um, yeah, I really recommend... Mouthwashing, How Fish Is Made, and the DLC of How Fish Is Made, the last one and then another. Um, they're a, a really quite unnerving and hilarious way to spend a couple of hours. Uh, another game I played is Dream Core. I think this is one of the ones that's caused um, a few Twitterings and Xings and various social media rings uh, around it. It's the game which is a sort of first person. Uh, simulator, first person simulator, uh, an FPS without the shooting, a walking simulator, uh, based around this idea of liminal spaces. Like, liminal space stuff is one of those discourses that I think annoys quite a lot of people because, you know, there's there's various Twitter accounts which will post, you know, video, uh, post pictures of a lamppost <laughs> on the outskirts of somewhere and go, hmm, liminal pictures with threatening auras, etc, etc. I have to admit, I actually really like that kind of liminal spaces aesthetic, even though the um, English literature dropout in me go, wants to sort of grab these people by the lapels and say, that's not really what liminal spaces really means, you silly. So I didn't have high hopes for Dreamcore. I thought it would probably... Um, be a bit of a gimmick, and then that would fall flat. Uh, but again, I was really impressed with the actual experience of playing it. So, when you start the game up, you are dropped into this space, which is essentially a series of swimming pool-type locations, um, all sort of marbled in that kind of tiled uh, way of, of swimming pools around the world, 
um, with that sort of weird, washed out, faintly blurry lighting that kind of is often a feature of those liminal spaces, Twitter accounts. Um, and this game is obviously really influenced by those kind of urban exploring type videos as well. So you are essentially wandering around this vaguely impossible space, um, so trying to find your way out, I guess. The game is very, very light on any kind of narrativizing of what you're doing. There's just a couple of bits of um, graffiti and, 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 and sort of weird semiotic objects placed around the world. And actually, in the whole demo, you only do two things, which I won't spoil, because I think it's really worth playing. Um, the space is beautiful, and even though it is often variations on the same theme, on the swimming pool thing, they find a lot of ways to kind of surprise and delight you. The things that you find, the changes in architecture, it reminded me in a good way of something like House of Leaves, the book, the way in which the space in that is described. As that kind of mixture of impossible and plausible. That's a really interesting vibe, I think, to conjure. Um, and as well as that, I just I was just very taken with how it sort of your exploring of this space ends up sort of keying into your basic ability to read uh, a space, to read architecture, to try and understand which is the best way to go in a given moment. Um, and the game kind of confounds that instinct. And our instinct to find our way in and out of places, I think, is pretty fundamental to being human. Um, and when we can't do it, it can be very upsetting and frustrating. Um, and so I think the game zeroes in on that uh, really, really well. You end up thinking, right, okay, so this pattern of doors and arches is repeating. So I should try and find a way to... Uh, you know, break that pattern by going in this door or coming through that door or um, finding this set of steps that looks faintly different from another set of steps or following this architecture that looks like it might lead to an en entrance slash exit. Um, and I found it hypnotic. Um, and I actually found it not frustrating at all. It's very peaceful experience, um, lonely and evocative, and actually, that sense of discovering something that no one's ever seen before, or one person has seen before you, um, that felt really good. And uh, again, I won't spoil what happens at the end of this demo, um, but there is a moment <laughs> which uh, absolutely scared the living shit out of me, um, in a way that a game hasn't for a very long time. So I will add that warning <laughs> to playing this game that it isn't entirely a benign experience. Um, but it's really worth getting into, I think, and I can't wait for the full game. I think if they can recreate that sense across lots of different modes of architecture and biome and all that kind of stuff, then I think they're on for a real winner with that. I think it's a game that surprises you with what the experience of playing it feels like. I think it could very easily feel um, just facile and empty and, and kind of static, but actually with very little, it's not full of music or sound or anything really, just with suggestion and hints and a lot of subtlety. I think they've done a great job at conjuring a sense of place that's kind of unlike anything else I've played before, beyond something like a kind of kitty horror show game or another indie walking simulator type experience. Uh, 
I also played the Pacific Drive demo. Uh, looks great. I think other people will have better takes on that when it comes out than I did, but fascinating. Um, I also played Star Trucker, which is a great title. This is the game that has as its uh, kind of basic uh, basic gimmick is its um, truck simulator in space, which is great. Um, I had a good time with that, but I also found, you know, the kind of horizontal axis, or rather the vertical axis of it, too much for me. Like, I love Euro Truck Simulator and American Truck Simulator, but that's because you're only on one level at any point, and I have trouble enough backing a truck in with that. If you add a whole new axis into it, it started to give me a headache. Um, So I abandoned that one relatively early. The other game I want to talk about is... Cryptmaster, which is just an unbelievably specific mixture of influences and uh, ideas that, again, in a similar way to Rolling Line, just feels like just the product of some weirdo gloriously. And I just love it when games do this. So it mixes the VHS video, uh, VHS-based board game from the 90s atmosphere, of which I was a proud owner, which was the board game where you would play the board game, but you'd also stick a video on, which would cause a horrible man at occasional moments to go, Stop! Whose turn is it next? I'm going to do something awful. You know, it was that kind of thing. But I kind of loved it, even though after a while, you could know when the moments were going to come on the VHS and intrepid kids could, you know, sort of game the timing of their moves to avoid being screwed over. Um which was the true meta game of the 90s VHS board game atmosphere. So Cryptmaster has that. It also has a lot of DNA in common with Nightmare, uh, not least having Traegar himself read the opening narration, which I thought for a moment was um, deepfake Stephen Fry. I actually dropped a comment on the forums asking, have you done an AI Stephen Fry on this? I hope not. And they were like, oh no, it's, it's Traegar. It's Traegar from Nightmare. Um, reading out a uh, really brilliant kind of opening salvo. So that was awesome. Traegar good. Traegar is good. If you don't know Nightmare, look it up. It's legendary. Uh, and then the game itself is kind of a, a, a dungeon a role-playing game um, where you walk on a kind of grid uh, and you have a party of folk, and you're exploring the kind of underdark type of zone, which is sort of beautifully rendered in sort of hand-drawn 2D as 3D stand-in kind of vibes. And all the while you're being spoken to by the Cryptmaster, who talks exactly like the Crypt Cryptmaster uh, from Atmosphere, the VHS video board game. And... Uh, The game is essentially about using either natural speech systems, so you can speak into a microphone or you can type, to communicate with this Cryptmaster figure and essentially use letters and words as your weapons and tools to navigate this um, space. So you're literally typing hit to uh, hit enemies with your sword. There's a good moment where you are given the opportunity to desecrate a statue of a goddess and uh, the Cryptmaster asks you how you want to go about it. I obviously typed in the word piss, and the Cryptmaster said, yes, give it a good soaking, um, and that then played out. So there's lots of kind of language 
um, you know, there's obviously a neural net system going on there, which allows for players to kind of uh, express themselves in various ways. There's also, whenever you find a chest, the Crypt Master looks inside the chest for you, and then you have to ask him questions in order to guess um, what he is looking at, which is good fun. Just a real weirdo nutso game. Doesn't feel like anything else out there. The, you know, typing into a, uh, you know, to, to communicate with a with a virtual being, I think is something games have tried and failed at quite a lot over the years. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this game pulls it off or doesn't. Um, at the moment, it felt good. It felt nicely reactive. I don't think I typed anything in there that actually gave me a kind of, I don't know what you're talking about response. I think at one moment I used a, I think I might have said fuck, and the Cryptmaster said, oh, why are you thinking about sex? All your relevant bits have dropped off, which I thought was a funny way to uh, counter what I just said. So, yeah, just very unusual. Um, ends rather too quickly. I, you know, I, I could have gone on for a bit longer with it. Um, but yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how that game kind of develops and comes out. I think the demo itself is actually based on quite an old build, so um, I think they're quite a fair bit further along with it now. Uh, yeah, so those were the games I played in the Steam Next Fest, plus train games I played over Christmas. And we're back. It's now again, isn't it? Hi. Hi, Jamie. Welcome back to the future. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I enjoyed my trip to the past then. Um, although, as you say, my body did not leave this spot. Um, uh, my consciousness did travel briefly back in time to when I was talking about Brio sets. The listener that we have has enjoyed a full 25 minutes without me saying anything. So that's a big plus. Yes, although they have enjoyed 25 minutes of only me saying things, so that is a minus. I guess it evens out. It's impossible to tell if that's good or not. <laughs> the um, Something that I wanted to kind of riff on, because I haven't actually had a chance to play any of the, the, the Steam Next Fest games, although I will say that I think we're living in an era which is very much, to me at least, maybe this is a personal cultural experience, quite well, defi- like quite well articulated if you talk about the experiential difference between playing a, playing with train sets to make yourself feel better and horror like those are that is a, an emotional range i can relate to quite powerfully at the moment uh, i thought that was both your excursions into train sets physical and otherwise quite relatable well yes they give us uh you know you know horror is sort of been well trodden the idea that horror gives us a sort of safe place to experience the kind of the dark the repressed you know all of the things that we kind of uh, you know keep us awake at night. Horror gives us this this language to describe them, and then model trains gives us the language to build train sets <laughs> in ways in which you know man isn't you know isn't meant to tread <laughs> on those tracks. Yeah, I think it's a it's a wonderful experience of what it would be like to live in an ordered cosmos without the hunger of howling gods waiting around the corner at every turn um oh, yes. I was, for, for i mean yeah. trains are you know for train tracks and train systems they're just a conspiracy against nature right they just imagine an ordered universe where we can move from one place to another um you know regardless of the fact that we do live in a blip in a void in another void on top of that void i think i think everyone is everyone's happy to see a train i'm just gonna say it <laughs> 
I'll just say it, all right? Like, someone's got to. Um, I, I think, you know, the, while I agree with you, I think that, I think the, pre, like, I think about this in the context of, like, any Battle Royale game ever made, if it's got a train in the map, it's better if they remove the train, as they did with Apex Legends at one point, get very upset. Um, I, you know, playing the finals lately, one of its modifiers adds a kind of, uh, like a, a mo- mo- moving element to the level, like a series of platforms to float around. Functionally, a train. It's better if it's there. Um, I mean, I think as a as an artifact of civilization, I feel like we can all get behind trains. And I on think, them. I think um, in you know, Bloodborne does a really good job of like, uh, you know, setting up this how a cosmic entity would would kind of it puts into practice something Lovecraft only really alluded to, right? The like the idea of how a a cosmic entity might interact with with the world and the, the hunter's uh, dream in that game right is this is this creation this unholy creation by this lovecraftian beast who you only see at the end of the game if you do a specific numbers of a specific number of actions to get that particular ending right i mm. wouldn't be that surprised if what that monster experiences um, from its perspective is 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 too dissimilar from playing rolling line like <laughs> i can i can imagine quite well the moon presence kind of Sort of fl- flitting around with its toys while it uh, while it traps German in this <laughs> horrendous hellscape, hellscape nightmare dimension, and he's also like puzzling over like changing the cloth or uh, um, adding a couple more trees. You know, at one point it goes mm. on fire. That could be a that could be a toggle in rolling line. <laughs> Everything's on fire. Right. Yeah, I think you're onto something because I think the the, the duality of this experience is that at the moment. Uh, trying to get a train to anywhere in the United Kingdom for decent industrial action reasons, but nonetheless is an exercise in just exposing yourself to the whims of a system that is trying to die. And that's, and I don't mean that in the sense that the you know that anybody is is, is wrong to strike for better pay. So much as it's a wonderful thing to have a, a, a public transport system that can sort of get people to where they want to be. And as soon as that gets kind of upset slightly by the whims of, in this case, capitalism, you end up in a scenario where it's like, oh, I'm, I missed when this worked. And I can sort of submit myself to this process, but I might just end up in a completely different city to the one I intended to be in. That happened to me over Christmas where I had to, I actually had a wonderful time over Christmas through that exact crisis because the in that case, it wasn't a planned action. It was the weather, which is the other thing that can happen. If it rains a bit and you know, Birmingham ceases to exist locomotively. <laughs> um, a sort of cosmic event in its own right. I um, I had to kind of just make my way uh, across the country, sort of manually getting whatever trains I would get. And I, in the course of one seven-hour journey, four different trains I was on were cancelled, one after another, as I was on them. Um, like, And it was like a kind of brilliant slow platform game quite literally just leaping from one, <laughs> like, cause eventually you stop thinking it, you stop thinking in terms of apps and process and this train will get me into this place at this time. And then I can get this train at that time. And more like direction, like West or East. Like, I'm just going to try and get East. I'm going to aim for York and see what happens. Um, you know, and it was actually pretty exciting. I, 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 this is, this is what I do for fun nowadays. If it's not clear. It could be quite nice, almost in those situations, to to see how like you get to experience hysteria, like that bit in mm. um, Breaking Bad where Walter White's like cackling in the crawl space because he's because he's <laughs> all the money's been gone or whatever. I can't remember exactly what the uh, conditions there were, but like sometimes I find it, it quite a uh, quite heartening actually to see how quickly people turn to sort of cackling cackling 
hysterical <laughs> sort of uh, demons at the, the sight of all this sort of stuff. Yeah, well, it's, it's it's it is a relief faced with the collapse of the ordered system that you're planning on relying on to simply go mad. Yeah. <laughs> so I agree with you. That is the that is the line between a train set and uh, and cosmic horror. I suppose the the reason it was on my mind, and actually this is kind of related, is because last week I received probably the greatest belated Christmas present I will ever receive. Um, the <laughs> the Lego House Atreides Ornithopter from Dune. <laughs> and I, despite all of my hobbies and interests and miniatures making and painting and all of that, have not been an, a Lego man in adulthood, which now that I've said that out loud is not what I mean. But you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I... As a 36-year-old man. It's lies, Chris. We all know about that time when you were briefly a Lego man. <laughs> yeah. Back in the late 90s. Yeah. I with mean, your interchangeable in the, hats. Yeah. My interchangeable head. My, my head that, if I have to, I mean, there are certain things that are quite relatable. Like if I, uh, I hide a lot of my actual feelings in the head on the back of my head that's hidden behind my hair. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, but. Um, Only four points of articulation as well. Yeah. I can, I can carry something cylindrical. <laughs> Uh, but I will overbalance at the slightest yeah. notion. I've seen you dangling off a spring. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A yeah. bendy bit in your hand. Um, who hasn't at this point? Sorry. Um, <laughs> um, and anyway, so this, this like, I was charmed that this Lego kit exists because, um, partly because, like, I was a child obsessed with Dune. Like, I, I, Dune is, like, the first book for adults I ever read. I read it when I was nine or ten, I think. And um, I... There's, there's definitely that person that I once was at some point in the nineties would have liked, would have enjoyed nothing more than this object. It is a Lego spaceship. It is a Lego set and it is an ornithopter from Dune. And uh, you were saying about playing Brio, which is another thing I loved as a child, but I was sat there. I started on Saturday and I finished it on Tuesday this week in like bursts. And I genuinely, I didn't realize that that part of my, like soul could be nourished in that way. And I could probably bang on about how I think like modern complicated Lego for grownups is actually like an amazing bit of like product design. Like they're, it's incredibly fun, but I was literally sat there building the complicated Lego technic interior of my fully articulated ornithopter. Um, <laughs> and I, I said out loud to myself and I live alone. This is the most fun I've ever had in my life. <laughs> It was incredible. I, I put I put a, I put a Jean Michel Jarre record on, and I just built wing assemblies and armatures for a big big a big ornithopter. And yeah, like I say, something something was nourished inside me that doesn't get doesn't get light or water very often. That thing is almost certainly neurodivergent, but, yes. we'll, yeah. <laughs> but it was nice to say hello to it and be like, look. Now you get to play with also this hilariously long Lego Baron Harkonnen. Um, <laughs> I can imagine. Oh my God. He's a big floaty, big floaty boy in a massive robe. It's so good. And since I've finished building it, I will occasionally pick it up, deploy the wings, retract the landing gear in the river, fly it around a bit and uh, put it back down again. And then I noticed this is now video game related, which people will enjoy. Although they had 25 minutes you talked about games. So it's fine. Um, the, uh, this week, Microsoft Flight Simulator inexplicably added Dune mode 
I don't know if you saw this. I didn't where see you that. Can, no. You can you can fly regular planes on normal Earth, or you can fly an ornithopter around Arrakis, which is incredible. So I've started getting that downloaded. I haven't played that this week because that is uh, that is bizarre. Yeah. That 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 game for like the entire span of computer game history has been entirely devoted to realism. Yes. <laughs> just at, at this moment, for some reason, they suddenly take a hard pivot into madness. I love it. Yeah. Right. yeah, you can you can rescue a little lost like member of House Atreides from the desert before a sandstorm gets them. Um, I haven't actually played it myself. I just watched the trailer and it looks like, again, the most fun it's possible to have. <laughs> but I don't like it just it feels like, you know, I mean, it's also very funny to me because I don't know. They've done something with the, again, the product design for the new flight simulator where even though it's a, you know, a modern gamer's service to some extent thing that you can download through Game Pass and it, you know, come down to the X- Xbox app, the process of installing it has somehow captured the energy of installing something on your mum and dad's computer from 16 CD-ROMs that isn't going to work. They've captured, there's like menu music, you know, this is kind of like soft, you know, lift music kind of jams in the background as it kind of loads. And the and the, the, combina- the juxtaposition of that and the now full screen advertisement for the new Dune expansion is, I think, aesthetically perfect in a way that like, well, that's the thing is it captured the exact energy of me sat at my dining table building a Lego Warnathopter and listening to French electronic music from the 70s. Um, Two things. So, yeah. I went to see John Jojar in concert what? a few years ago, and he Incredible. was he was fantastic. Right at one moment, first of all, the first thing he does is that he's got cameras set up on his fingers so that no one can say he's just pressing play and then and then sort of bopping around on stage, right? <laughs> um, which is great. So he is actually playing everything. And the other thing he did, um, which is just one of the most rock and roll things I've ever seen, is he plays a song where his sort of part of the song, the lead synth line, is played by him breaking the path of an array of lasers, which are shooting out of the uh, front of his keyboard. Incredible. Um, and yeah, it was just absolutely wild. Fantastic. Um, the other thing in, in, neurodivergent, <laughs> in neurodivergent news, I just have to mention this. <laughs> yeah, sure. Because I was in the charity shop the other day, and like all charity shops, there is a lot of... like. Um, board games in there yeah and puzzles and stuff like that now i haven't done a jigsaw puzzle ever really i've done many with my children but i've never done a kind of grown-up one you know sort of more than 24 pieces an adult jigsaw if you will an adult jigsaw absolutely (laughs) um and i saw on the top shelf and i couldn't help myself i did buy it which was an 800 piece puzzle um of the rosetta stone which has been put out by the british museum and oh, I held yeah. it in my hands. It was £2.50. And I thought to myself, am I only getting this so I can make the joke to my friend Toby um, that once I finish this one, I can finally do the other two jigsaw puzzles I've got? Um, <laughs> and then I thought, yes, yes, I yes, I, I do want it. And I am going to make that joke to him. And he's going to say lol to it on WhatsApp <laughs> once I do it. Um, but it's more or less impossible. I mean, it's a completely impossible task. If you've ever seen the Rosetta Stone... Uh, and quite how uh, you know, busy <laughs> it is. I've really set myself a very difficult task indeed. I think I've managed to put together three pieces in an hour of staring at the puzzle pieces. <laughs> Scathing review of the Rosetta Stone there, Gene. <laughs> it is busy, isn't it? It's very busy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
that's a vital you know a vital missing missing link in our understanding of the ancient world but it is also very busy um a lot going on there's a lot going on there's a lot of languages to put on one rock <laughs> i also i also really enjoy and that jean-michel jarre is kind of preempted criticism of his own performance in that particular way i think that's i think that sort of loops all the way back around to being admirable you know what i mean oh fantastic rather, yeah yeah absolutely. rather than rather than demonstrate rather than there being another way to demonstrate he's actually doing something <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's in the grand tradition of people making ro- music like robots from Jean-Michel Char to Orbital to yeah. Skrillex, you know. I mean, somewhere along the way, people just stop bothering pretending, right? <laughs> so mm. it's nice to see someone like that, you know, at least pretending a bit. I mean, yeah, it's still a fair exactly. bit coming off tape, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. And identifying that there is a certain certain range of emotional experience that can only be described by, is there a look a laser? That's the whole feeling. <laughs> Look at this. Cool. It really was. It was a concert which every single song, you know, when it threatened to get boring, which it did often, it's <laughs> yeah. he would just bring out a new toy as if he anticipated that absolutely <laughs> uh, to a T, you know. Uh, yeah, it is. I, I, I listen to quite a lot of uh, music and that, that kind of range at the moment simply because it is sort of I think sometimes your brain needs hold music. You know what I mean? Like, oh, one hundred percent. I do not want to be provoked. Thank you. Um, I'd like to listen to a just a, 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 a formula resolve itself, Frenchly. Absolutely. I listened um, to "Lifted" by the Lighthouse Family today three times in a row, entirely unironically. <laughs> <laughs> I had a horrifying moment recently when I realised that part of my uh, Spotify was like broadcasting what I was listening to to like a group of people on discord that I had shared it with. And that was fucking mortifying. I'll tell you that. Like, that's something like I, I loathe that partly because I was deep in a writing deadline at the time. And the, I think I had found like a new level of like, I'd kicked through a new barrier in my like new game plus, plus, plus run of like novelty metal <laughs> and ended up in a place that was very strange and didn't feel good about it. But anyway, we've been talking about this for quite a long time. We should talk about a genuine, for my for my money, surprising game of the year or contender already. Also, I mangled that sentence, didn't I, Jamie? No, I got you. The, cool. The feeling, the feeling came through, if not the content. So yeah, um, so uh, there's like I thought that the next time I was on the pod, it would be all about my honor mode Baldur's Gate run, which is going well. I'm really enjoying it. I'll probably come back and talk about it at some point um, because that game remains amazing. But Helldivers Two came out, and it's fucking great. It's so good. It's it's the first game since Baldur's Gate, <laughs> which I played on release last year which it has had that effect on me where it, where you're sort of doing your everyday life stuff and you're like, stupid everyday daily life. <laughs> I'm yeah. going to go back to my real job, being a space marine for a fascist <laughs> organization, calling in, health, uh, calling in uh, you know, airstrikes constantly. Um, the sort of game that makes you vaguely irritable to be a human being with a real yeah. body. <laughs> right, particularly because... Oh, it's so it's so we should probably lead to, to kind of... I imagine it's everywhere at the moment. I imagine people are familiar with what it is, but... If you're not familiar, Helldivers 2 is the is the sequel to Helldivers 1, um, which was 
it was the game that the Magicka devs did after Magicka. Um, and if you're familiar with Magicka, which was the kind of like tech, like over over complicated, but for comedic purposes, like isometric wizard co-op adventure game from about God, 12 years ago now, um, then Arrowhead kind of very swiftly got themselves this reputation for building these like really playful co-op systems. And then Helldivers came along, which was a twin stick shooter, isometric with um, a kind of uh, strong Starship Troopers influence, which has never been more strong as, as strong as it is in the sequel. Um, it was very popular. Uh, and then it kind of went away for the better part of a decade and has returned as now a really beautiful third person shooter with a lot of the same mechanics and we can get into more detail, but effectively a uh, live service shooter about dropping onto alien worlds in a drop pod, um, all of which are comically hostile um, (laughs) through one or two factions, the kind of flagship one being the kind of the bug faction, um, which I can't, I can never remember what their name is because it is, like just like the Iceland brand Tyranids. <laughs> like I think it's is it Terranids? No. It's it, close enough though. Something, yes, possibly. <laughs> yeah. Um I can never like I can't hold it in my head in, in exactly the same way that I can't hold the Deus Ex theme and the music the the old X Men cartoon theme in my head at the same time. Oh yeah, I see that, yeah. Because <laughs> they're the same. Um, <laughs> um But yeah, and there's a lot I'd love to unpack about why it's such a success, but I think the thing that I would lead with is I have this theory that I'll bang on about a bunch generally, but I think games as a whole, as a medium particularly, um, are always in danger of being less than the sum of their parts as such a big multidisciplinary thing. And really occasionally when they're really special, manage to be more than the sum of their parts through a lot of small, clever decisions. I think of the games I've played lately, Helldivers 2 is a really good example of that. Like taking a small number of parts. Some of those parts are individually unpopular in other contexts as well, like the live service model, like the online only model, and making them all like essential to something that rises above that set of limitations. Yeah, I think I think it's 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 a game you can learn how to play in a couple of minutes. <laughs> and it doesn't seem to me like that ever really changes across play. Um, the platform on which you're playing is is really quite small, um, but actually it makes real virtue in simplicity like that. And it's just an immediately grokkable, immediately kind of... Y- your relationship with the game is established so well, so quickly, that it becomes this kind of... Yeah, just a very grabby experience, essentially. You're, you're mm. never... You know what your relationship with this game is going to be, Um and it's a great one. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you can, you know, the premise, like four-player co-op alien shooter covers most of it, but all of the details are executed really well. Like, in a fundamental way, they have, I think it's probably the best third person, it's primarily third person, um, third person shooter in terms of feel and fundamental mechanics that I've played in ages. I've seen people compare it to Metal Gear Solid Five in that regard, and I think it's a good comparison. A uh, very different game, but in terms of like, uh, 
feels really good to, and you've got a lot of freedom of movement um you've got a lot of kind of interrelated sort of weapon and equipment systems that feel really good to use and crucially um it is built for scale so the worlds are pretty big and creatures get pretty big and appear in huge numbers and that allows them to scale the difficulty really spectacularly without ever taking away from the lethality of your weapons like it's a really lethal game you can't take very many hits without dying but also like the basic bugs and stuff like that will get absolutely shredded by you know one shot from a powerful rifle or a burst of fire from a submachine gun or something like that and so it completely sidesteps the the kind of the bullet sponge thing that a lot of co-op shooters use to pace themselves um, in favor of like, there are certainly very tough enemies and there are mechanics for defeating them, but you're always like blasting away at hordes of things and you're constantly receiving that kind of, you're constantly participating in that really fun feedback loop. And it's been a while actually since I've played a shooter that's executed that it that well and that consistently and you know it has such a i love the way the i think their movement model is great like i love how heavy you are as a character you know you can't jump but you can mantle you can dive and go prone and like roll around on the ground while you're prone and like it just like seems the thing like you it's, do like the second most it's yeah. the second most popular thing you do in the game is throw yourself to the ground and roll around i love it yeah and like but the amount of like you know the fact that like the enemies can like sometimes have their limbs blown off and keep crawling towards you like it reliably creates moments that other games would either have to script or um or would happen like once in a while like you know, it's, it's a regular occurrence that, like, you'll be running back, you'll run out of ammo in your gun, you'll switch to your sidearm, blow the forelimb off a big bug, dive out of the way of an attack that would otherwise kill you, and then your friend shoots it, and its body just kind of collapses on top of you, and you crawl out from under it and stand back up and keep going. And it happens all the time. And it happens because of, like, some really beautifully, like, calibrated <laughs> fundamental systems. It's really impressive, I think. I had a great moment in a mission I was playing uh, earlier today, actually, with just some randoms, where our mission was to um, go and blow up some eggs uh, in in an egg cave. And uh, the only stratagem, we could talk a bit more about stratagems in a moment, Mm. maybe, but the only one I had at my disposal was the Gatling Sentry, um, which is bloody great. It flies down from the sky, pops up, and a big, horrible machine gun starts firing at every enemy it can see. Um, And all four of us were sort of advancing and it was the machine, the Gatling sentry was machine gunning away at the bugs, stacking up kills and stuff like that. And then it swiveled towards us <laughs> advancing on oh, the no. bug location and started firing. And in perfect, you know, synchronization, we all had to like throw ourselves to the ground while it machine gunned the enemies behind us and sort of commando crawl out of uh, the range of fire, which was just this lovely moment of like comedy emergent, you know, narrative stuff, which is just like yeah. just completely glorious. It's hilarious and exciting and and spectacular all at once, just through something relatively simple. You know, the fact that you know what what gathers to create that moment is like the fact that friendly fire is always on, the fact that your turrets can hurt you. You know, there's a whole the fact that enemies are converging at you from different uh, angles pretty much constantly. Yeah. You know, everything's set so well to be so volatile in sort of such a wonderfully um yeah crazy and chaotic and explosive manner 
And it's like, and it's fun because I really want to spend quite a bit of time talking about tone, but like the stratagem thing is like, so the stratagem system is you basically equip, you're constantly unlocking new stratagems, which range from like orbital strikes to equipment to deployables like turrets. And you call them in from space on a cooldown by, this is very arrowhead, by <laughs> dialing in a street fighter combo, <laughs> um, which it's easy to fuck up. And, um, and, but then you, then that kind of like, turns into a ball in your hand that you throw and then it'll come down wherever the ball lands. And that is, you know, it's just, it's lovely that that is also like, they've solved the problem of like, I don't know, awkwardly targeting something in a third person camera by just having it be a ball you chuck that can roll down a hill and end up in the wrong place. Or like, um, you know, the amount you get, like the sort of, uh, it, it's a game that works really well with randoms and I could talk about why, but the sort of the experience of like warning your friends, like I'm about to do an extremely dangerous airstrike run, like, and just throwing it and then pegging it in the other direction is very, very fun. It also does um, the thing where yeah. if you, if you fire up one of those things and then get shot and die, you'll drop it. And if it's a kind of airstrike type thing, it means everyone who's standing near you has to like peg it out the way, like a lot of running, pegging it out the way of airstrikes in this game. Um, yeah. Um, I love the uh, I love the way that so also you're in these maps and you're usually there to do some primary objectives and the secondary objectives littered around and other things you can do that kind of increase the you know the value of the mission that you've been on including like closing bug nests and that kind of thing. Um, but a lot of the little missions and things you discover have little mini games attached to them. Like they've done a really good job of turning like all the interactable stuff in those environments into like little games that you're playing about like calibrating a radar dish where one of you can see the right angle it needs to be and the other one has to turn the wheel or reloading an artillery gun that then actually becomes a stratagem you can use and the types of shells you loaded into it and the order in which you loaded them is actually the order that they come out when you then use it as a stratagem from the other side of the map for example oh i hadn't that realized that that's so awesome yeah. <laughs> it's so cool it's so full of these little like and this is one of the things i, I mean about like because in in one lens on it is it's a it's the same core loop over and over across different environments, set of biomes in a procedurally generated sort of mission environment. Uh, and they know exactly how to add variety to those little objectives and the, the encounters with specific creatures to make that never feel like it, what it doesn't do. And we can talk about this from the way the kind of meta systems work as well. That perspective is even though you play for, 10 hours or so you will have seen most of the things that are in it one way or another but it has sufficient density of like individually delightful little interactions that mean that you don't get that feeling that you sometimes get from games of this kind which is like i've kind of done it now i've kind of done everything that can happen in this right like um and that's one of the things i mean when i talk about games that being more than some of their parts or less like it's really hard to achieve that feeling of like yeah i think i've, I've seen all the different weapons and enemies but now I just want to watch, I, I just want to smash these elements together forever. <laughs> you know what I mean? To kind of experience the kind of the various outcomes. Like I had, I'm crawling at the difficulty levels towards the higher set and because uh, you kind of unlock them as you go and they get really difficult. And I had like the first missions that I, this morning I had some of the first missions I've played where only one person has survived at the end. Only one person's made it out. And that like final desperate kind of flight for the, uh, for the evacuation shuttle at the end of the mission when you're the last one alive um, is like 
just an incredible thing because you, you are so individually vulnerable that you can't really you can you can do individual acts of heroism at a certain scale but when you're alone and there are no respawns left and your entire team is watching you and you know you're just desperately sprinting for the back ramp of this escape vessel and then it happens and everyone cheers that feels amazing and then when it happens again in the next mission you're like oh shit this is actually special like it's really really clever yeah, wonderful. I had a, a mission yesterday, I think, where I, I was in that position where I was like, again, it was very saving Private Ryan. I was sort of stranded on, on the edge of a beach, you know, with uh, uh, with all of the bugs crawling towards me. And uh, it, I some, it was one of, it, it's just a really good, like, snatching victory from the jaws of defeat. Like, I, I threw down a bunch of landmines that I happened to have and then a whole bunch of artillery strikes and managed to peg it across the level and, like, my kill count by the end of the level was like 270 bugs or something compared to everyone else's like 60 or something. It was just insane. Uh, it felt glorious and it gave, kind of gave me a, a chance to be a sort of superhero, really. Um, just Yeah, it was great. I want to talk briefly about the, the, the amount of artillery that is on option here. I mean, <laughs> it's lots. It's lots. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's funny, isn't it? It scratches an itch I was always kind of aware of. Like, calling down artillery strikes is always fun in games right it's never not fun uh i think the fact that they don't really they just give you loads of them they give you loads of them they're on a constant respawn loop for the most part they give you lots of different varieties including ones which go out of their way to be more dangerous and random which is quite good fun um and just like you've got napalm you've got gatling strikes you've got ones that are sort of slightly less powerful but recharge more quickly and the design and the sound design on them in particular is just absolutely spectacular. Um, and when you've got like five or six of them all going off at once, it really is a kind of apocalypse now yeah. uh, sort of vibe where you're sort of <laughs> being thrown around by the explosions as bugs everywhere, debris. Um, it's just it's just so visceral and fun and stupid. And even when you do end up killing your entire squad by accident by um, dropping a, a Gatling run on them at the wrong moment, um, it's still funny <laughs> um, because the, the world is sort of set up for that. See, I think that's, I mean, something that's, I think, really cool about it that I appreciate we're really we're love bombing the game at the moment is it manages this balance of like, well, one thing, it looks really spectacular, I think. Like, it's not the highest fidelity kind of game out there but i think all of its choices with lighting and environments and various effects it just has it creates these moments that look genuinely amazing and when all of the big you know it, it has big bombs in it that make you go wow which is as you were just saying <laughs> and there is something about that experience of like it has those moments that let you feel like a real little badass so you know future soldier and um you know that like you were saying about it, it gives you, you know, it doesn't, it's not shy about just letting you play with the most spectacular stuff all of the time. And there is something really particular about like four of you walking up to the edge of like a big bug nest encounter and all sort of deciding silently as one to dial in your latest like war crime pokeball and just <laughs> toss it <laughs> into the hole and just start this big firework show. But I think something that's really, and then I had a moment yet, uh, Yesterday, I think I was playing, and it was like a night mission in the rain, and it was a really hard one, and we burned through our lives, and I it activated in me the, the part of my personality, which I uh, 
I do regret sometimes where it's like, I'm just in charge now. I'm the captain now. And start like <laughs> saying like, we're not fucking about, we're going for this extraction zone. And there was a bit where like I called down a supply drop ahead of us, waited for my team to like using it to kind of like try and like, hey, everyone gather up here and then just keep moving. Like opened the map and pinged the extraction zone and then threw a like a therm- like a incendiary minefield called down behind us uh, in the path of this huge stampede of bugs coming our way. And I threw it behind us as everyone ran out the other direction because nothing kills your entire team like an incendiary minefield. Um, <laughs> also partly because I do need to call him out for this um, dear friend and friend of pod, Paul Canavan. I think he just can't see traps and mines in games at this point. I've played enough uh, hunt showdown with that man that like, if I like hey, he if if I put it on the ground he'll stand on it, it's it's the way it works. But in that case we were like <laughs> running away from this minefield I put very far behind us, and then you know a few seconds after I placed it the bug started to hit it and there's just this like these explosions of like you know orange light like blossoming on this hillside in the distance as like bugs we can't see but through like the gloom and haze and like a torrential rainstorm I was hitting it and it was like genuinely really like beautiful like as a, as a kind of just a, a game moment but the other thing i think about it that's really important is it's achieved something tonally which i would majorly be a big part of crediting it for why i think it's even in its early days like it feels like quite a welcoming game and uh a quite welcoming community initially as well and that's because obviously it's the you know it's not shy about the Starship Troopers influence. The opening sequence of the game is a hundred percent Starship Troopers, um, and you know it's also there's a little bit of Warhammer in there as we've said, and and other influences Terminator, um, but you know it's it has its tongue quite squarely in its cheek in in a bunch of different ways, and you know you are there's a lovely there's a lot of lovely little choices it makes about like you're a hell diver and the thing you do at the end of the tutorial is pick up your hell diver's cape there's no good reason that everyone wears capes except except that the kind of new the new near the, the future super earth you know kind of like sort of neoliberal fascist hellscape that you live in is treating you like you're a superhero and they want you to feel like a superhero so that you're going to wear a pointless cape and there's this big uh, ceremony where you get your cape and then you get loaded into a cryopod which is like one of hundreds on one rocket of hundreds and all shot into space at the same time and the understanding is that your everything you're doing is pointless and your life is short <laughs> and so um you know it, you, the characters are constantly screaming about liberty and i love that they constantly say managed democracy rather than democracy is very funny um <laughs> Like for liberty and managed democracy, um, and there's little details like you can set it to not do this, but when you die and you like respawn and your drop pod comes back down, often your character's body type and voice will have changed, which indicates that it's a different person equipped like the person. You know, you are what you're essentially building is not a character, but like a set of equipment associated with whatever poor sod gets unfrozen next. Um, and so you're not like the kind of the, the, you're not, you're always punching up, which I think is an important thing. Um, while also being definitely the baddies, (laughs) which is a really like good combination of elements. Um, while also kind of clearly engaged in a 
utterly pointless kind of war of attrition where like there are no heroes while also in your own small way getting to do these little acts of defiant heroism against impossible odds and i think one of the there's lots of reasons that's successful but one of them is that um the game is not positioning you as like dr badass mcguns the coolest man in gunland and the the enemies you're facing are not you're not like doing something righteous it's all kind of a bit grubby in a fun way and that reframes your like successes and your defeats as like quite playful exercises in like uh well actually i mean i'll put it two ways one is the game does not take itself too seriously and that invites you to not take it too seriously and i think that's really important for feel and for like uh, how it feels to participate in an otherwise really difficult co-op game where players are dependent on each other and they occasionally fuck it up and drop turrets on each other's heads and stuff like that. <laughs> and then and the other side of it is it ha- somehow some combination of all these elements, like its controls and it's the, these little soldiers with their capes on and stuff is more than, and I play a lot of games with, you know, soldiers in them. It really feels like playing soldier. I don't know if you know what I mean by that. Like it feels like it's it's got this sort of sense of like, this is you and three of your mates in the park having just seen Starship Troopers aged 10. And yeah. this is what is happening in your mind's eye. You know? Well, I, I agree. And I think it's, you know, Starship Troopers is, is an excellent um, kind of comparison for them to make. I mean, it really is actionably Starship Troopers. Um, because, like, you know, Starship Troopers is a movie about the spectacle of war <laughs> used as a yeah. means of control. And it's, you know, it's I think it's a pretty much a masterpiece, that movie. Um, Paul Verhoeven has a great thing where he talks about, like, when he thought someone would object when he had the um, psychics in his movie dressed in literal Gestapo uniforms. <laughs> right. But apparently no one noticed. Um, <laughs> but, like, I think it, it does a really good job of, like... I mean, there's been a few Starship Troopers games, but I don't think any of, the, any of them have come close to nailing that tone of, like... Yeah, it's kind of nihilist uh, depiction of late stage capitalism, uh, where everything, where nothing matters and you're disposable, so you might as well have fun. It's like it's a really good inducement to fun. I enjoy the way the game um, like fluffs you as well. So like you've got a ship which is basically the Normandy, and <laughs> and like um, one of the people who you see on there uh, says to you, well, "I'm feeling so much safer now you're here." You know things like that. Like mm. games hardly ever fluff you like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I just really yeah, which is always really funny because you, in that context, are just like the fortieth person to walk out of that cryo freezer <laughs> yeah. today. Yeah. Like, um, I love that one of the first choices you make. You don't name your character at all because obviously you're a disposable grunt, but you do name your ship, and that's from like a whole bunch of like it's like it's, it's not a free text window. It's like you have to pick the something of something else from a big list of words. And you can, if you like, be the elected representative of family values as the name of a starship. Um, but the thing I really love about it is then you are, you know, you're, when you're selecting your mission, you're in orbit around like the planets that you're about to go down to. And there are just hundreds of these ships in orbit. Like <laughs> there's so many of them. It's so disposable. It's really good. But then, and the thing I think is really crucial is like, there's this sort of like quite, it's such an interesting balance then the moments when you're like loading up into your drop pod and being shot into down into the surface of a planet, the way that the little cutscenes play out and the music is 
really badass. <laughs> like it is, it is, it is like it's interesting because the game is literally saying like, hey, you know, fascism tricks people by making war look awesome. But look at this, <laughs> <laughs> and then suddenly the kind of music kicks in. You're like, fucking yeah, we down to die, and <laughs> like it, you know, it's it's really fun. Like there's um the other thing we should talk about is like how it works on a meta scale, which is it is a live game. They're doing some really kind of interesting, clever things with like almost like live GMing. But there's a war front across the galaxy at any given time. Um, and it evolves in real time. And as players contribute wins to particular worlds, those worlds can be rendered safe or captured, at which point the game moves on to a new set of worlds. And there are like new modifiers all the time. So like rainstorms afflicting a planet that make it really hard to see and so on. This stuff sounds simple, but it adds up. So part of its satire is that you'll finish a mission and your collective sacrifice and trauma <laughs> over a 40-minute mission will increment the progress of liberty on that planet by like 0.001%. And the game plays like a fanfare as it ticks up almost not at all. <laughs> and it has real fun with it. But that structure, while like, you know, as part of like a live game, creates this sense of place, weirdly, that even if you're only ever seeing a couple of other players at one time, the community as a whole is like really invested in these one places. And and something we didn't say is that the game has two factions. One of them is the bugs and the other one, which they don't actually really like they let you discover is, is the automatons, which like, like Terminator, like uh, the army, like Terminators plus, 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 plus. And I find them the game, genuinely intimidating. By the they're, way. they're scary. And they're like, really scary. And, rifles. <laughs> And they and suddenly and they they have guns and so yeah. it changes the way the game plays completely. <laughs> so they have to take cover and hide. And the the funniest thing is like it's it's evolved a bit now because a week and a bit after release, we've kind of pushed the, the bugs back in one sector of the galaxy, and the robots are now attacking in another. And so the big kind of global objective has shifted to defending against the robots now. But at the start, there were lots of bug planets available, and everyone's doing work there. And there was one system where you could push back against the robots, like far on the opposite side of space. And you can see at a glance that there are like 30,000 players currently playing missions on one planet, maybe 16,000 on another one. And for the longest time, there was about only like 2,000 players at any different time fighting the robots because they're really hard. And just that decision created this little kind of mood in the community that like, you know, the understanding is that the robots are harder than the bugs is that um, like everyone, you know, everyone's kind of like doing their part to quote Starship Troopers in the kind of the bug planets and 2000 brave souls are in robot hell, like <laughs> on the other side of space fighting thanklessly. And the world that they chose for that was this like purple alien jungle of like almost perpetual twilight where you're seeing these like leering red terminator eyes through the trees constantly and being like, you know, airstruck by another faction that can pull down airstrikes on you and like <laughs> it's like it, it's it's really i don't know i'm really enamored of it i think it's all of its systems coming together in that way it's just really really impressive yeah like the first time the thing is is like some of these things should lose their their kind of their sense of power like but like every single time one of the robot drops it ships arrives, <laughs> which it yeah. does so spectacularly, there is that feeling of like, oh shit, no. Like at no point does it become serene. 
or easy. Everything <laughs> no. is an emergency. Um, I just really yeah. appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I really like that. Um, so I think, you know, and I think particularly like I've only once or twice found myself getting like frustrated with how difficult it is because it does a really good job of turning difficulty into a quality, right? You're like, oh shit, we're fucked. Like there's, you know, we're literally like cornered and there's bugs everywhere and we're all going to die. And it becomes funny at that moment rather than frustrating. The only time I've really gotten frustrated was like every now, every now and then I've had like a random teammate who was like consistently like called on airstrikes on their own team and stuff like that. And there's not a lot you can do about that, but I would, I wouldn't, I'd certainly don't want them to remove friendly fire because I think it's a core part of the game's feel. Um, what I will say, and I think it's the important caveat to all of this, is I think the the scale of the success of the game is definitely take them off guard, and it is, it has bountiful networking issues for me that are still quite prevalent, and a lot of my friends have had issues with crashes and things like that. And I know that initially when it launched, it kind of dipped on the Steam reviews because it was so unstable. It feels a lot better now. And like, you know, I'm still playing it a lot and very consistently, but I felt like given that we've done, you know, we've really laid into how good this game is. I think it's probably also worthwhile saying that like, you know, I would not blame someone for like refunding it in that initial window and waiting if it wasn't working for them and waiting for it to, stabilize a bit yeah i mean i'm playing it mostly on playstation and there's been like i think there was like a couple of nights in a row where i'd arranged to you know play it with some friends and we were unable to and that is that is annoying isn't it when you when you sort of made free time for something but again it's kind of understandable when something is there's no as i understand as far as i understand these things it's quite hard to uh, for companies to sort of insure against this stuff really um so you know, there's an amount of understanding, which seems to be sort of community wide. Actually, that's you know, it's people have been quite patient with it. I think because it is so good. Yeah. Um, but hopefully, they can get get on their feet a bit more with that stuff. I'm really, I'm really interested to see. I have a feeling that it's going to be really sticky. Like in terms of, I don't. There, were, there have been games recently that have been super popular and, and taken off really quickly, where I've been less convinced that they will hold on to an audience past a certain amount of time. Um, and I, that's something I think about all the time. Um, Oh, that was a cool room. Um, <laughs> it was just a clearer but, going past my house on yeah. <laughs> Um You know, because because of that thing, like when you've seen all of the mechanics, do you just stop playing? And that's where you know a really compelling call loop can take over, all kind of emergent systems and so on. And I think Hell Divers might have it in a really interesting way. Like I know that I don't know if, if it's not a game I've played, so I feel completely unqualified to offer an opinion. But I'm really, I'm. I think it's a really interesting moment that this game has come out basically at the same time as uh, Suicide Squad: Kill Justice League, and both both are angling for a kind of the same co-op shooter uh, with persistent elements, like uh, you know. Um, Helldivers isn't a looting game at all, really. Um, but it's there's a lot that I find really striking about the reception of the two games and and how that's yeah. kind of panned out. I mean, I've I've played both pretty extensively. I'm probably going to save up my Suicide Squad takes a little bit um, mm. for when they've kind of had a chance to settle because I think it is a, a fascinating fascinating case or case study in exactly the kind of the issue of the time with regards to game, you know. Um, uh, and I think uh, Helldivers is a, a fascinating success story. And I think the, the two games kind of 
very interesting in in comparison to each other. I think what what pro- the promise of uh, Helldivers two I think is really good because it's clearly a game they can add to. Um, they can add yeah. factions and add areas to, and that's already an exciting prospect, even if it is a year or two off. Um, because you just know that they can kind of have that thing where they'll have a steady player count of of committed players and then they'll do an expansion or a DLC drop or however they choose to do it with a new faction or a new planet or you know there's all sorts of things that they could add to the game I think it seems very modular like that way and then that will bring yeah. everyone back in for a big old a big old uh, shoot 'em up uh, festival um and that just feels that feels just really promising and fun um, rather than like Suicide Squad, which as I say we'll get into, but that game does not feel uh, promising when you get into the end game of that game. It feels like it's going to be boring, <laughs> which is right. a, a real shame. Yeah. <coughs> it is a shame. Like, I'm, I'm interested in playing it. I think I think what I'll say about Helldivers is you kind of to go back to that point of like every part of it is designed to support the game that it is, right? From the world building to the tone to the mechanics to the progress systems. And I think that really matters and it really shows. And I think, I I think the observation I've made recently is I think audiences can be quite sensitive to when a part of a game is there because for reasons other than their immediate enjoyment, you know what I mean? Like, and I think it's, it's notable that as a, you know, it's, it's a premium game, you know, it's a, a, I think a 30 quid purchase held over not quite full price, but nonetheless. And it has microtransactions and battle passes and stuff. But they've been really meticulous to probably execute, like, probably the fairest version of that that I've seen, where the battle pass system never expires. It's not timed. So they're less like battle passes and more like progressively unlocked progression buckets where you yep. can kind of progress them each individually. Um, the uh, there is stuff that's available in like a store for premium currency, but that premium currency is accessed is available. You gain a stock of it through um, not just the battle passes, but also through play. Like it's, I think it's the one of the. I'd be interested in. I don't know how many games have made their premium currency something you find in the world very often. It doesn't happen very often. Yeah, it feels like and, something you'd see ten yeah. years ago a bit more, but very much not these days. Yeah, and that is, and quite frequently as well, like it's a regular pickup in like some of the secondary objectives you might do. And that is like an immediate goodwill generating gesture that I can't imagine is costing them much, you know? Like, because it's, oh, there's a cool helmet I could buy, but I'm like 20 credits short. And rather than spend, I don't know, the minimum amount of like a fiver on bonus credits, I'll just play a few missions and I'll find that is like, it should be obvious, but that is a that is a emotionally positive player experience, yep. and that is not the norm. And I, I you know, stuff like that is, is sort of icing on the cake. I think if they, if it if it becomes like rock solid technically, then I think it's really got legs in quite an impressive way. One last thing for me to say about Hell Hell Divers Two. I keep want to say Hellraiser. It's not Hellraiser. Hellraiser mm. Two is that firing from the hip is fun and useful in it, and that's the first yeah. time I've ever seen that in a game. <laughs> like normally, firing from the hip is the game's way of telling you that you're an idiot and you need to look down your sights like a man. Um, whereas this is the first game I can remember playing where when you're faced with a big swarm of bugs and you fire from the hip while backing away from them, it feels really, really good to do it. It's immense fun to do it. 
And that just feels like a kind of <laughs> paradigm shift in hip firing mechanics uh, in video games. Yeah. The, I think the game I would call out there is Gears of War, which does the same thing. Yes, um, that's true. And like, but I think it's a really, it's really smart of them to do it this way. Like, I've had, I had a moment. I am my, my kind of current like um, selfish build. If I'm just playing for myself, really, <laughs> is like a jetpack and the, the short burst jetpack and the anti-material rifle, like the big sniper rifle that fires like big chunky armor-piercing rounds. And I, you know, the, the big chunky sniper rifle that you normally have to aim down sights to fire is not the gun you expect to hit fire. <laughs> but, but like, I had a moment where I was getting charged down by, like, not a full charger, which is, like, a very heavily armored bug, but, like, I think it's, like, a hive guard, which is, like, that's right, yeah. pretty big, pretty big armored bug. And I sort of had to, like, it was, I, I hadn't seen it kind of coming towards me. And as I was sniping something else, and it charged me down and I dived out of the way and hip fired the last round in my like armor piercing massive sniper rifle and just blew its head off. And it was like a fuck yeah, me moment. Like it was, <laughs> it was like one of those, like, you know, and then because, you know, it covers you in like bug guts and viscera, like I'm then like covered in green goo, like trudging through the, the aftermath of my own little moment of heroism. And that stuff is just, it's so cool. Like, um, aiming your drop pod when you come back in to crush the bug that's about to kill your friends, and then act and managing for once to not crush your friends—it's great. I've, 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 we've been talking about it for like what a good hour now, and it's made me just want to play. Yeah, it. It's desperate, desperately want to play it. I've, I, a friend of, not a friend actually, a rando. The the Titan bugs in it, which are genu- genuinely fucking enormous, which I really appreciate. Yeah, Titans, when you've got two or three of them on you at once, which was just absolutely bonkers, and managing someone managing to kill one of them by dropping a drop pod on his head, it was just hilarious and wonderful. <laughs> yeah, we had a moment earlier where uh, I was, I knew that we were going to fight one for the first time, and Paul hadn't fought one before, so I really wanted to like set it up for him a bit because we had the yeah. mission to hunt one, and I was like, I had this whole plan of like sneaking up on it like sneaking to where it was and then like putting a minefield in a way oh god we didn't talk about the the the, um team guns so this is something that i love like some of the gun so you call down your kind of the upgrade weapons you call down in pods and um there are certain guns like the like uh, a rocket launcher and a a, uh, like an auto cannon type gun big laser come in two and big la- well, and big lasers that come in two parts, where you have the gun itself and the ammo backpack. Oh right, and you right, can yeah. you can wear the ammo. You can pick up both and wear the ammo backpack and reload your own gun, but it takes forever. Or you can give the ammo backpack for a, to a friend, and then if they stand at your right shoulder, they will get a prompt to be your loader, and they'll like stand, they'll like attach to you and and reload as you fire. And it is an incredible bond that is formed between. <laughs> A little soldier in the person attached to their shoulder feeding ammo into the rocket launcher as you desperately unload round after round into like a charging Titan as it kind of barrels towards you through a minefield. And then and then everything goes to shit anyway, obviously. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because <laughs> something unexpected happens and you're just running for your lives. It's, yeah, like, yeah, that little sort of Imperial Guard weapons team moment is... It's very good. So it's very good. much like a team building weekend gone awry moment, isn't it? <laughs> Just load the yeah. fucking rocket launcher. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of like. I think. I think that's the thing. The other thing it reminds me of a bit is, even though it's a very different type of game, is it has some of the sense of scale 
and cooperation in its landscapes of like I'm trying to think of the good example like planet size is not a good example of this but would you know what it meant if i felt like it feels like a war game sometimes like you're you're dealing with huge numbers of enemies on so many fronts and bringing in so many like deployables and airstrikes and things that you are playing it strategically as well as literally just hip firing desperately at the bugs in front of you. Like yeah, really it's, combo those things. I think that's absolutely right. It's it's kind of a game about sort of managing space <laughs> and, mm. and managing where the enemies are. And, but it does that kind of without even, without even you know, just effortlessly, you don't think about what you're doing. You just think about not dying and that ends up turning it into a kind of rather excellent real-time strategy game where yeah. you are the soldiers. <laughs> yeah, the, the the game I'll compare it to is a, like a game that I don't know. Do you know the game Terra Nova from the nineties? Um, uh, only vaguely, I think. Yeah, I I sort of discovered it randomly because I found like a a demo disc for, with it on for a pound in a shop in like <laughs> in like probably nineteen ninety seven or something like that but i was kind of obsessed with it because it was like a joint arms first person shooter but with like the scope at the time of like an rts i feel like i said earlier that like 10 year old me would have wanted an object no object more than a lego ornithopter i'm pretty sure 14 year old me wanted no game more than this i suspect <laughs> like in terms of the combination of things like starship troopers plus plus on the ground shooter plus like almost a bit of command and conquer to the feel of like bombing the shit out of lots and lots of oncoming enemies it's very good it's very good it's a good game <laughs> they've done very well with it um <laughs> yeah and uh, and and again, just I, just because every time I think about the game, it kind of comes alive in my kind of ears, my my brain ears. It just sounds so good—the guns and the monsters and the barks and uh, and everything. It's just like playing it with a decent set of headphones is really really fantastic. Um, yeah, yeah. I just I think the sound design does so much for it. Um, yeah, really really good. I feel like we've I've. I've run out of things to immediately say about Helldivers, but I, I, it's it's fun to get like I think a reasonable, if particularly if they, um, uh, you know, stick the landing on the technical stuff, like a reasonable game of the year contender this early in the year, like very exciting. Yeah, I, I think it's absolutely up there. You know, there's nothing immediately on the horizon apart from Shire and the Wanderer uh, <laughs> Six, mm. which most people are less excited about. But um, the entirely opposite game, which is coming out in a week or so, and I am just ludicrously excited about. But no, aside from that, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's also it's also interesting, I suppose, to maybe to wrap up that like we've just like I feel it's there's something I feel like given what you've just said and given what you said in the in the the solo recording about you know both the train games, these kind of sedate train games that you're playing, this kind of lovely opportunity for games to be, and we joked about it earlier, but to be about like order and peace and like kind of the meditative exercise of like almost tidying you know what i mean like making a lovely kind of creating a single simple beautiful thing or that thing of games allowing you to explore feelings that you wouldn't otherwise feel safe accessing through horror <laughs> and then we've spent in the back half of the podcast lavishing praise on in some ways if you were to look at it unkindly the most video game that has ever video game <laughs> like and, and i think it's worth calling out that like Helldivers is really good. It's also squarely knows what it is. And it's like, do you know what the modern vocabulary of video games is really good at? 
starship troopers and <laughs> and often it is it sort of arrives at that by accident and this is almost feels like this like you know not to be too pat about it but it's almost this like precision dive into the the like to some extent the bottle bottom of the barrel of what games are as cultural objects like we're just going to join the american army and bomb lots of aliens. Well, it's like, the promise. It's the promise of fascism, right? The promise of right. fascism is that the world is in fact very simple, and it's just these kind of insectoid elements in it that need cleansing, and then we can all live very simple and happy and non-problematic lives. You know, fascism yeah. is is the is the horror game slash train tracks of <laughs> the political uh, spectrum. I think you know, right? That, yeah, that's my theory, I, and I'm sticking to it. That's this. I mean. The stupid thing is, I think that's right, and like the, it's interesting, isn't it? That like, it is. Yeah, it's. I was thinking. I think about this in lots of contexts actually, but shooters are probably the main one. Like games, you talk about games being like a safe horror games being a safe engagement with difficult feelings. I think games in general are a relatively safe form of engagement, or they can be a safe form of engagement with sort of human experiences and activities that are otherwise absolutely abhorrent. And it goes a lot, you know, shooters are the obvious example. Modern military shooters are the even more mod- m- more obvious example. But, like, um, I think sort of Helldivers is almost, like, perfectly pitched in that regard, right? Like, it almost, like, sends up the entire medium while also being, like, the most fun I've had doing that thing in ages. And I don't know if I should feel guilty about that. You know what I mean? I was thinking about that, the, like... <laughs> What do I want to do with my evening? I just want to blast bugs with my friends kind of mindlessly, but I'm having a brilliant time. Is it good or bad? It's good, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's very good. And this this is how they get you. <laughs> well, that's the thing, I suppose, isn't it? I don't feel like this game has made me more likely to do in real life any of the things in this game at all. No. You know? I'd quite and like I'd quite like to call in an airstrike, but not on that, anyone. Just like if I could just do it in the fields, like somewhere, <laughs> and, and you know, just... yeah, it's like the absolutely. I mean, I think I made this joke in chat, but it, it does have that air of like men only want one thing, and it's <laughs> it's precision orbital strikes. <laughs> yep, you know, and I don't I don't mean to gender that in a way that's. Uh, unfair but it, to reference specifically that twitter meme but it does have that energy it's like it feels precision i suppose this is the the double bind i'm, I'm orbiting with this last point it feels precision engineered to speak to us as like 11 year olds playing in the park and it also feels like a profound depiction or slash parrot slash send up of like as you say fascist militarism and that just raises this interesting question about how we were raised you know, culturally, where it's like, wow, this reminds me of being a kid. And it also reminds me like, <laughs> of all the things I was trained to want. Orbital strikes. Um, I think that's, I think uh, I think if I talk anymore, I will just load Helldivers. It's like, I've got Steam open, like right now, right now. I haven't yeah. been cl- clicking, but I could. You know, there you go. Look, this is, that was me clicking onto my Steam library. So we should probably wrap this up. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, well, uh, that is all the pod that we have time for. 
If you would like to find more of these podcasts, you can find them at createandcrowbar.com or on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash createandcrowbar. Uh, thank you to everybody who backs the podcast on Patreon. Uh, you find out more about supporting the podcast at patreon.com forward slash createandcrowbar. And if you'd like to chat about this episode or, or hang out with the wonderful community more broadly, you can find them on Discord. The link for that is on our website, which again is createandcrowbar.com. Uh, I have been Chris Thurston. And I've been Jamie Britton, Ombudsman of Science. Is that true? What, that I'm Ombudsman of Science? Yes. <laughs> yes, it's true. Wow. It's the name of my spaceship in the game. Ah. <laughs> I, was, I should have asked you that earlier. Mine is Father of Midnight. Oh, that's very good. That's very good. That Thank definitely you. sounds like a Sisters of Mercy album. <laughs> yeah. You got there really is a good way of dialing in the tone you want. Awesome. All right. Well, that is all the pod we have time for. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you.